Hello and welcome to the Learn English Football Podcast. I'm Tim. I'm Tom. And uh, this is a new podcast just for learners of English who love football. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to produce weekly content and after the radio station we're going to produce some materials so you can follow the course and you can either just listen to practice your English or you can listen and practice with the materials online. What kind of content can the students or the listeners expect? Well, um, we were going to produce things that to, uh, to further their, their understanding, um, to, to check their understanding things properly, uh, also to do exam style uh, activities so the students can listen to content they're really interested in, but at the same time prepare themselves for the exams they've all got to study. Mm. And what will be the main subject we're going to talk about? Well, you know me, Tom. I love football. And from what I know about you, you love football too. It's true. I'm crazy about football. And I'm feeling very, very excited about next week. What's happening next week? I don't know. Was it some football competition? Was it the European Championships? That rings a bell. Yes. So, uh, we're going to be talking about the European Championships. Um, we've got lots of things to cover. Um, before we start, we're going to say a little bit about who we are, uh, just so our listeners and our learners, more importantly, uh, can feel involved and uh, get to know us as people. So, uh, I'm Tim, and this is Tom, and we're both from Cambridge, uh, a beautiful city near London in England, and we're both mad about football. We're both English teachers. Tom, how long have you been teaching English? I started teaching English in 2005, so 16 years ago. Uh, I'm also a primary school teacher, so I teach other subjects as well. But since I came to Spain, I've been focused on English teaching. Uh, what about you, Tim? Well, uh, I've been teaching English for about 10 years now, uh, since, since I left university. Uh, and like you, I live in Spain. We both live in Almeria, a beautiful little city in the south of Spain. Um, and so about 10 years in England and, and in Spain. Did you say you've lived in other countries? Yes, I have, yes. Before I settled down in Spain, actually, what does settled down mean? Settled down, you mean you, you, you found a house, you live there kind of permanently with your partner? Yes, I think permanently is the right word. It's when you decide to uh, stop your traveling and stop your moving around to make a place home, to become permanently situated somewhere. Before I settled down in Almeria, I traveled a lot and taught English in many countries like Brazil, Kuwait, Russia, the United Arab Emirates, Portugal, Poland, uh, and yes, here I am now. I have to say I love Spain. And one of the main reasons I absolutely love Spain is it's a footballing culture. It certainly is. Um, I've lived in different countries as well, Tom. And I'm sure you would agree that football is a fantastic way to make friends, to meet people when you go to new places. It's something which brings people together. And with that in mind, that's why we're here. That's why we're doing the Learn English Football Podcast. So, let's begin.
So, let's start with the programme then. Today we're going to talk about various things. Uh, we're going to talk about the new format of the competition, because it is different this time. Uh, we're also going to talk about the favourites, and by that I mean who's going to win the competition. Uh, we're also going to talk about the dark horses. Tom, could you explain what a dark horse is, please? Yes, the dark horse is uh, the team that could have a surprise. It's the team that is mysterious and has potential to surprise us. So, looking back, Tom, who would you say was a dark horse? Would you say, for example, Portugal last time was the dark horse, or would you say when Greece won the competition, were they the dark horse? Good question. I think Portugal were the dark horse. Uh, they had the quality in their squad four years ago when they won the tournament, uh, but they were not the favourites. The example of Greece in 2004 is different. I would call them the underdog. Yeah, you're right. Nobody thought Greece would do anything. So, yeah, maybe they are more of an underdog. And then finally, to finish the programme, everyone likes goals, 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 Tom. So we're going to talk about the top goal scorer. And as I'm sure you know, we have some wonderful attacking talents at the competition this year. So let's jump straight in. Uh, and talk about the new format, Tom. Um, we've got 24 teams. Uh, the top two teams from the six groups qualify for the knockout competition. Uh, and also the four best third-place teams qualify for the last round of 16. But of course, the biggest difference is that this competition isn't in one country. It's across Europe. It's in 12 different cities. So, Tom... The obvious question is, what do you think about this new format? Do you like it or, or not? Well, the first thing you talked about, the expanded number of teams participating, I like. Actually, it gives me nostalgia to the first football tournament that I saw, which was the World Cup in 1986. I'm showing my age here, I know, but that also had uh, six groups with four teams in each group and the potential for third-place third teams to qualify. So I like that. I like a lot of teams being able to participate. I do take issue, meaning I do have a problem with not having one host country, though. The reason is, is that when you have many host countries, I think you give a natural advantage to the teams playing at home. In the case of our team, England, I'm not complaining. You know, I want England to win, so if we can play our games at Wembley, that's great. But I'm not sure if it's fair that smaller countries with smaller stadiums will be penalised against. They will not have the opportunity to play as many games at home. It's true, Tom. I think you're right that... Um... The, the matches are generally in, in countries that are famous for having a football culture. So like Spain, England, Germany, France. So you're right, maybe the small countries will suffer. I have a um, slightly different opinion on this. I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I think this new format across different countries in Europe is a fantastic idea because one of the problems with having a competition like this in your country is the amount of money that it costs the government to build stadiums and things like that. If you look at the competition in Portugal, a lot of those, a lot of those stadiums aren't full every week. And so I think that's a big shame. 
Uh, do you have any different opinions on, on that topic? I think it is a valid point to say that a huge amount of money is often spent on these big infrastructure projects and they become white elephants. Do you know what a white elephant is? A white elephant? No. Could you explain, please? Yes, this is typically describing when a country builds a new stadium for a sport, international sports tournament and then the stadium is not used afterwards. It's called a white elephant project. It means that uh, the money is effectively wasted. It's considered a poor use of taxpayer money. Yeah. I, 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 and, that, and that's my big problem with uh, these big competitions just being in one country. I think it's very difficult for that country. Mm -hmm. um, another issue, I suppose, um, that I... Yeah, uh, another issue, I suppose, Tom, that I have with this format, and you know I am an ecologist, I care a lot about the environment, is there's a lot of travel. I mean, imagine if you were supporting your team going to the final and you had to travel around Europe to many different countries, many flights, there's a lot of pollution. Um, and I, I think maybe football shouldn't be encouraging, shouldn't be promoting this kind of uh, behaviour. What do you think? Or don't you care so much about that? Mm. It's, a, it's a tough issue because travel is part and parcel of football for the teams and their staff, part and parcel meaning it is tied up, it is, it is essential. A totally normal yeah. part of it. That's right, yes. Uh, so I'd be reluctant to say it's okay for the professional clubs, but it's not okay for the fans. I think uh, if a fan is passionate enough to follow his team around Europe and to spend his money on it, uh, I don't want to stop him. Uh, but I do take your point that we should be looking for ways to travel or at least to logistically organize these tournaments so teams and fans are not expected to travel across the length and uh, breadth of Europe. Uh, is that the right word, breadth? Length and breadth, yeah, I think so. You mean... The whole, the whole area of Europe, to, to travel every, to every part of Europe, you mean? Yeah, right? I mean from the north to the south, from the east to the west. The length and breadth. Yeah, the, yes. they should be trying to uh, organise games in similar areas of Europe to minimise travel. Okay, Tom, so um, enough about the uh, structure. Let's move on and talk about who we think is going to win the competition. Mm-hmm. So, it is exciting to uh, think about who's going to win. Um, I mean, winning is where the glory is. Um, I've been looking at the competition and studying some statistics and also just, just reading a lot and thinking about what I know about different teams. And I think, um, I, I've been looking at England as favourites, you know. Um, and I was thinking that um, we have some incredible attacking players. I mean, Foden, Grealish... Harry Kane. I mean, they've been incredible this season. We've got players who, in the past, were, were definitely starting matches like Rashford and, and Sterling, who at the moment might, might even be on the substitutes bench. Um, so I think we've got lots of strengths. Um, I think 
Players like Phil Foden and Jack Grealish uh, are mysterious. The international stage has never seen them. So this could be their time to really announce themselves to international football. But, as always, Tom, you know England. We do have a weak point. And I think this summer our weak point is in defence. Especially if Harry Maguire is injured. And he has been injured so, uh, recently. He hasn't played for Manchester United. Um, and just generally in defence, I do worry about us. Um, the other problem with England is a lot of the Manchester United and Chelsea players haven't practised much with the team because they were given a week-long holiday after the Champions League final. Personally, I thought this was a bit crazy because I watched the Croatia match and I saw Kovacic playing for Croatia and I thought he played in the Champions League final. But then the England players didn't. What do you think about this holiday, Tom? Do you think it was a good idea or a bad idea to give the Champions League final players a holiday after the final? I think it was a good idea. I think after the, the high, the emotional high that comes from winning the Champions League or the devastation, the disappointment of losing the Champions League final or the Europa League final for the Manchester City players or the Manchester United players, they need time to recover mentally, to prepare themselves for the new tournament. So I have no problem with all of those players taking an extra break. Okay, I understand what you're saying. Obviously, a lot of football fans out there will be saying, for £100,000 a week, you should be able to uh, contain your disappointment or your happiness. But on a human level, Tom, I totally agree. Um, another team I was thinking uh, could be favourites for the competition could be Portugal. Let's not forget, they are defending champions. And one of the big qualities Portugal has is nobody's talking about them. And I think that's a brilliant uh, help to, to the mentality of the players. Probably they're avoiding pressure, unlike some of the other big uh, countries. And the other big strength they have is a fantastic youth uh, and a fantastic mix of youth and experience. They've got older players like Ronaldo, Pepe, Moutinho. And then they've got younger players like Felix and Navas. And I think this, uh, this combination, uh, maybe the older players can really help the younger players develop but, um, relating to the older players, can Cristiano still score five or six goals in a competition? I'm not sure. Um, so, I think that could be their weakness. Do you have any thoughts on Portugal? Uh, I really like the balance in the Portuguese team. You talked about age, the mix of youth and experience. I, I think Portugal have all the ingredients to win the tournament again. I have no doubt that Cristiano Ronaldo will deliver again and score goals on the big stage. I do question how well he will fit in with Bruno Fernandes in midfield, though, because Bruno Fernandes is the main man for Manchester United. He does the free kicks. He does the penalties. So it will be interesting to see if those two players can unite and create a, a potentially very dangerous combination. One thing about Portugal, it's not their fault but they won the tournament four years ago. So from a statistical point of view, I think it's very, very difficult for them to win the tournament consecutively. I don't know any countries that have done that. Um, did 
Spain do it in 2008 and 2012? They might have done. I, I think, think you're I right. I think they're the only team in history to have done that. Mm -hmm. But you're right. The statistics don't uh, don't don't make uh, Portugal look like they're going to win again. So um, before we talk about players, Tom, and I don't, I want to talk about players, but I do think there are some other teams. Maybe not the teams that people expect. Maybe not the favourites, but we like what we like to call the dark horses. Um, so are there any other teams that we think could win it? And when I ask myself that question. I can't help think Italy. I mean, Italy have tournament experience. Um, I know they've had not the best success recently, but I think this uh, since, since Roberto Mancini has been in charge, since be, has been the manager, I think he's changed the way they play. I think they've uh, moved on from slow defensive Italian football uh, to a more modern Italian football. Um, they won every game in the qualifying. They didn't drop even one point. Uh, they've got uh, Nicola Barella, who's a fantastic box-to-box -box midfielder for Inter Milan, who's just won the league. And, as I said, I think it's a brave person who bets against Italy in an international competition. What do you think, Tom? Italy are well-motivated. Italy didn't qualify for the World Cup in Russia two years ago, or three years ago now. And that experience has hurt them, which has led to this very strong qualifying tournament you describe, where they, they didn't lose a game. I think that the Italian squad will progress to the later stages of the tournament. They will go past the group stages. But I don't see enough talent in there to win the tournament. I can see them getting to the quarterfinals. Uh, that's my prediction for Italy. Okay. Yeah, no, I understand. They're not the favourites, but, uh, you know, these dark horses, you can never predict what they're going to do. So, uh, I know you want to talk about players, Tom, and I do too. Um, let's talk... Before that, I want to talk about my dark horse. Oh, your dark horse. I'm yeah. very sorry. Now, I'm going extremely dark with my horse. Okay. Uh, my horse is Switzerland. Switzerland? What, yes. what on earth makes you think that? I think that Switzerland have experience in their squad of playing tournament football. They know how to uh, get through stages in tournaments. I think it's a classic team where the team are more important than the individuals. I think they do have some excellent individuals. I like the goalkeeper, Sommer. They have Rodriguez, their fullback who takes the penalties and the free kicks. But most importantly, they have an organization. They have a shape, a style. It's not a pretty style. It's not beautiful football. But every player knows what to do and they know how to play in a way that's extremely effective. Uh, they've also had a very good run of preparation games. Not necessarily against the strongest teams, but I think that Switzerland will progress and could at least get to the semi-finals. So that's my surprise tip, my dark horse. That's, that's interesting you've chosen Switzerland and I've chosen Italy. And 
both of us have, have justified our choices because of, of the way they, the teams play in a unified way, the tactics of, of the side. The teams we chose as favourites, we were looking at individual quality. Um, so that's interesting. Now, Tom, um, I know uh, your, um, your, your love of goal scoring. I, I've seen you play up front on the football pitch. Um, so... Uh, I, I, I think the top goal scorer or the golden boot is going to be uh, Harry Kane. And I'll tell you why I think that. Mainly because um, I was thinking about how he's going to score goals. And I think he's going to score a lot of penalties. If you think back to the World Cup in Russia, he scored a lot of penalties there. We've got a lot of players who, um, let's say, look, look for contact in the area. Or certainly don't ignore contact. So if you think Kane gets three penalties, a couple of headers, and England go deep into the tournament, maybe semi-finals or final, then maybe he could play a lot of games and have a lot of opportunities to score easy goals, more difficult goals. Um, what do you think, Tom? Harry Kane is a strong favourite. Actually, I think he is the bookmaker's favourite. What do I mean by bookmakers? The bookmakers? You mean the people who, the companies which work with gambling and betting, like in Las Vegas, for example? Exactly, the betting companies, okay. yes. We call them bookmakers. Harry Kane is the favourite for top scorer, but my top scorer is Kylian Mbappe of France. And the reason is that I think France will go further in the tournament than England. I expect Mbappe will play more games of football than Harry Kane. I think Mbappe will benefit from working alongside Benzema as well. I expect the France tactics to be the same as three years ago where their front man, the traditional number nine, was doing a lot of the dirty work. He was the first defender. Yeah, by dirty work you mean he was he was doing the non-traditional things that an attacker does, like defending, trying to chase the ball, that kind of thing. Exactly, yes. So France will again use their number nine as more of a, a defender, a presser, a pressurer uh, to pressure the other team to, to give away possession. Uh, and then when they win the ball back, they will transition quickly, and that's where Mbappe will benefit. So... I think Mbappe will be top scorer. I know they also have Griezmann, but I think Mbappe is, well, he's the number one player in the world at the moment. He's the most expensive player of the, in the world. Uh, in, but that's what I mean by number one. He's not my favourite player, but he is the most expensive. Well, favourite players, we've got lots of time to talk about favourite players, Tom, don't worry about that. Uh, but Mbappe... Um, I love Mbappe. He reminds me of my favourite player of all time, Thierry Henry. But I don't think he's going to be top scorer, Tom. I don't think he's had his best season. Um, I think uh, back to Manchester City against Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League, uh, Mbappe had a very quiet game. Uh, in fact, Kyle Walker, uh, it was his job to stop him. And I don't think Kyle Walker will, will think that Mbappe was the, was the most difficult uh, challenge that he had to face this, this season. Um, what, do you, what do you think about Ronaldo as top scorer? I mean, he's going to take penalties, he's going to take free kicks, they are the defending champions. He's 
scored so many goals for so many years, do you think he has a chance of winning the golden boot? You can never bet against Ronaldo. I expect him to score at least three goals in the tournament. However, he's 35 years old now, so he's, been a, he's a fantastic professional, uh, superhuman almost in his athletic ability. But when you're 35 years old, you're not as fast as when you're 21 years old. So uh, I think that the French Mbappe, with their, their counter-attacking style of football, he'll find more space to exploit and get more opportunities than Ronaldo with Portugal. Possibly, yes. I, I, I think the, the motivation levels for Ronaldo are very high. If he scores in this tournament, there are two big records that he's going to break. One... Uh, he will be the first person to score in five different European championships, dating back to 2004. And he will also uh, move clear as the top scorer in history. Uh, he's, he's joint top at the moment. Um, but uh, I, I, you know what Ronaldo's like. To him, joint top won't feel like a victory. He wants to be number one, just him. Mm-hmm. That's all we've got time for today, folks. So thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure to bring you our first episode of the Learn English Football podcast. Don't forget to look for materials if you want to practice for your exams or check your understanding of the content. You can go to our website, lefpod.com. That is L-E-F-P-O-D dot com. Also, tell a friend. The more listeners we have, the better. Uh, we will be bringing out more episodes, so check um, as often as you can, and there's a new episode coming soon. Finally, before we finish, a big thank you from me, Tim. Thanks from me. Thanks from Tom. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.